0: Welcome to Not Enough Champagne, a podcast whose 50,000 listeners can't be wrong. My name's Corey Hazelest. I'm a partner in propaganda with Steve Haynes. Hey, Corey. So over Christmas, excitingly, Steve, we had a 50,000th download. So, Woo-hoo. yeah, thank you. Uh, well, I, obviously, that means that the already four seconds into this podcast, there's a slight inaccuracy because obviously then... 50,000 downloads doesn't necessarily equate to 50,000 listeners, unless, of course, we have 50,000 people who all downloaded the podcast once, which would be, I suppose, quite a breath- impressive in its own way. <laughs> You'd like to think that people would listen back, but maybe that isn't the case, or it's just one person just listening to the same episode on a loop. Thank you all for listening, and welcome to this episode. This episode, again, regular listeners will be familiar with the format. We're going to decide what resolutions the Conservatives and Labour should have in 2020. No, we're not. In 2021. There you go. It's that kind of ruthless professionalism that's kept us going this far. Steve it's just you know like Eric Hobsbawm talks about the short 20th century the long 19th century in many ways actually this year is 2020 we are in the long 2020 yeah moving swiftly on then uh conservatives three resolutions we have for them so first resolution we had to them was make leveling up actually work Boris Johnson administration
1: was elected on the uh provision that they would actually level up large sections of of, of Britain, uh, improve the economy, improve people's lives. It's safe to say that with the pandemic and Brexit taking up pretty much 100% of the bandwidth that's been, uh, been available, um, to the government, they've not necessarily been able to do that much on this front yet. Given where we are now, they need to start actually showing some signs of actually delivering this commitment to actually levelling up uh, the rest of of, of the UK and not just London and not just the big cities. Because if they don't, then one of the promises that they made to win over those Red Wall seats, which they took off of Labour, it's been broken. And at that point, the votes that were gifted to the Conservatives may very well end up going back to Labour now that people are more... Uh, well, now that Labour is led by a, a figure in the form of Keir Starmer that's more popular than Jeremy Corbyn was. So if the government doesn't start actually putting in the legwork on this now in 2020 and start like making some form of announcements on, on, on what they expect to do and what they want to see um, happening. 2021. Uh, yeah, 2021. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I didn't even realise I'd set a date. It's (laughs) contagious, uh, ironically. So in in, in 2021, the government needs to start actually acting on its commitment to levelling up and actually showing signs that they are working on it, because otherwise they're going to start losing the trust, which they already have in a number of areas, it seems, based on the polling, of a lot of the voters that voted for them
0: previously. As you've said, there's a very key electoral case doing this and we do disparage boris johnson a lot on this podcast um given he's responsible for the hellscape in which we find ourselves but i think it's also worth remembering that as you say a lot of lifelong labor voters did lend boris johnson their votes almost because he seemed like a different kind of conservative and the government promised to be a sort of different kind of conservative government and Uh, Certainly you read things like Deborah Madison's book, Beyond the Red Wall. One of the big takeaways from that for me was looking at how a lot of voters in those kind of seats felt that particularly London had got the investment or even the local town centres had got extra investment rather than their local communities. So there's a clear electoral case for the Conservatives doing that. There's also a clear moral case as well, because a lot of these places have had 10 years of cuts do have underfunded services and buildings that uh, need to have investment in them. And that's especially true when we consider that we're going to need some sort of economic recovery package after the pandemic. I'm going to make the same point that we made on the podcast last year, though, which is that it's going to be really interesting to see how this resolution is enacted given the tensions there are within the Conservative Party, both in terms of their voting coalition. So we've talked about those voters in the Northern seats, they won in 2019, but that's a very different agenda to a lot of the, uh, if we can call it, Conservative core voters in affluent Southern seats. But also it's a different tension in their governing coalition as well, because you do have people like Boris Johnson who's probably quite happy to spend A lot of money on this. You've got people like Jake Berry, we talked about last time, and Dehenna Davidson, your pick um, for influential backbenchers, are probably quite happy for the government to spend money on this. But they are going to find a lot of resistance, probably institutionally, one would guess, from the Treasury and also from some. Um, more fiscally hawkish Thatcherite ministers like Rishi Sunak in the Treasury, who, and even people like the SAGE who got mentioned in dispatches in our last episode, who probably want to see a bit more fiscal restraint. And so I think it's going to be really interesting to see how the government tries to balance that over the next year. So we're going to go straight into the second resolution. The government needs to do what I haven't obviously done and learned from their 2020 mistakes. And this time I do mean 2020 and not 2021. I mean, these come in a few different areas, particularly, I would say, I mean, this is both in terms of communications and in terms of policy. So we've seen consistently a under-promising and over-delivering from Boris Johnson in terms of when we're going to see, say, a return to normality, when whether or not families can celebrate Christmas. On general communications as a whole, even we are two days in, as we record this into 2021 and already the department of education is sending out some contradictory messages on schools because some schools are meant to be opening on Monday, the department of education, so closed schools in some London boroughs, but not all London boroughs for reasons. No one's really entirely sure. No one connects explain the logic and then all schools in London were, were closed. But then as of recording this, I believe I'm right in saying that not all schools in tier four areas will be shut which does seem a little bit contradictory as well. And also I think in terms of more specific coronavirus related issues, it's not just about the, the lockdowns and learning the lessons from imposing them too late. It's also fixing track and trace, which just seems to have sort of fallen by the wayside and also just about efficient delivering of policy. So we've talked about the issues with track and trace. Those issues really need not to be present with a vaccine rollout.
1: I'll be honest. I'm not particularly hopeful that the uh, government is actually going to succeed on this resolution. To be honest, uh, everything you've talked about in regards to um, the situation with schools and them being open or closed, or and, and and the confusion around it, is evidence that they they so far definitely haven't learned that lesson, despite having plenty of time to do so. for For the Conservatives, it's if if they can get through the rest of this pandemic and then emerge on the other side, is going to be are they. Are they then going to govern in the same kind of leave it wait till the last moment style? Because if they are, then they're going to find themselves suffering quite quite badly. Because if you if you don't have a structure and an agenda and a focus, then you're going to be kind of kind of screwed in terms of actually doing anything meaningful and delivering. So I think in a, num- in a number of ways, them getting this correct and actually learning from their mistakes last year is necessary for them to um, meet that first um, point we were talking about in regards to levelling up as well.
0: Interesting thing I, uh, I read today, a thread from Chris Cook, formerly of Newsnight, now have taught us about trying to understand why the Department for Education has had so many issues when it comes to, to comms and impressively doesn't mention Gavin Williamson, some of which I think are a bit structural, like the fact that higher education is part of it, which adds the bandwidth. The fact that the Department for Education also now is responsible for thousands of academies directly, which it never used to be. So you've kind of got the local authority control aspect, which it never used to have. But I think the other thing which is maybe relevant to this podcast, certainly for the third resolution as well, is... But it seems like there's a lot that the, the, the culture and department seems to be, as it was under Michael Gove, a uh, very suspicious of, of the blob, as Gove and Cummings would describe their teaching unions and other teachers, where any any opposition becomes sort of carping from activist teachers and lefty unions rather than maybe actual genuine disagreements because they're scared about the safety of our children and their parents and their grandparents and teachers. And a very defensive attitude that they assume that any approach was always going to be the approach we were going to do and they don't brook any dissent on that. And I think that's kind of interesting. And you'd hope that they've, they've learned from that. And I think the other thing, just in terms of the, the wider government agenda is, I think one of the issues is that, again, just to go back to Boris Johnson personally, is that he he seems to be congenitally unable to give people bad news and so to make hard choices when you're faced with a terrible situation like that. And again, that's not, that's not a bad thing. Uh, these are often some very difficult decisions you've got to make, but when you're looking at Comes in the middle of a pandemic, or you're looking at having to balance your competing interests of different cabinet ministers, or are you going to increase spending, or are you going to cut it, you need someone who's able to take a clear decision decision and stick to it, and be able to communicate that effectively to the public. And that has been lacking. And again, we've talked on the last episode about the the changes in number 10 that might take place that mean that the government's able to do that. Like you, I'm slightly sceptical they will follow this resolution. And the third one then was to avoid culture war issues. Why have we put this in other than the fact that we're all lefty liberal snowflakes, Steve? So there is going to be a piece going up um, on Patreon and then on the on the
1: website um, looking at the notion of what the government's agenda should be and effectively what, what Boris Johnson wants his legacy um, as Prime Minister to be. Uh, one of the things that that's, that's in there is kind of discussing whether or not going down the avenue of, trying to instigate more kind of culture war fights um, is, is is a good idea for them. My take on this, uh, to give you a bit of a spoiler, is that going down that route, though, is, is not necessarily going to be uh, to its benefit. What I think it will be very good at doing is riding up the base Um, and making sure that the Tory party faithful are very happy with it and that your your true blue Tory voters are probably going to be very happy with the government but what it's not going to do is going back to that levelling up agenda actually help deliver that in any meaningful way and what I think you'll you'll find is that it might actually put off an awful lot of um, voters, so not, not because necessarily the policy positions and things like that are going to be popular, but because they're just, if you're focusing on these areas, what you're not focusing in on how you can actually level up um, the, the, the rest of the UK, you're not focusing on those red wall seats and actually delivering on the promises you made for them. And given, as, as you've said, there's going to be some battles internally, if you're focusing on culture war issues then you're not going to be making those having those dis- debates e- internally and i suspect you'll probably end up ending up be doing those culture war issues because you can't come to an agreement on those areas and you're using them to hide the um the fact that you're not actually doing
0: the work you said you'd do i mean it's interesting that you think boris johnson's legacy won't just be a smoldering pile of rubble but we'll we'll move on from that I tend to agree. I mean, there's a, there, is, there seems to be a school of thought in the Conservative Party, I think particularly among the newer intake, who I think maybe are more ideologically of the right, more old school Thatcherite, who I think think it's advantageous. That's certainly the impression you get from some of the briefings. But I think I agree that it's probably not the most wise strategy. I think partly because one of the things that Keir Starmer is as Labour leader is relentlessly on message. And we again, we've talked about this, that he has a certain number of issues that he's going to talk about. And he's aware of traps that the Conservatives are going to set on culture and Keir Starmer is going nowhere near them. But I I don't think a lot of the cultural issues, as you say, I think a few people care about them. Often the split goes down party lines anyway are you really winning over wavering voters? Probably not. Is that to deny that even say there are cultural reasons why some voters might be who are former Labour might be voting Conservative? Well, absolutely yes. But as you say, I think banging down on culture is not necessarily a way of reaching them. There are three Conservative resolutions. Labour's resolutions, first one, show uh, gains in elections rather than just in the polls. So in 2021, in May, we have an unprecedented number of elections taking place on the same day. There's loads of mayoral elections, police and crime commissioner elections, loads of local authority elections. We've got elections in Wales. We've got elections in Scotland. We've got hundreds of council by-elections. There is a veritable feast outside the general election. It's the most elections comprehensively across the country that's ever been held in a single day. Labour needs to do well there. Here you go. This is this is where we do our football pundit. You know, the next goal could be crucial. It's really important that England scores a goal, otherwise they might lose. Yeah, uh, absolutely. I mean, I think fundamentally, if gains aren't made,
1: oh my God, that is absolutely disastrous. Um, you know, the polls all indicate currently that we probably should, should make some decent gains. But nothing's real until actually the votes are counted so hopefully you know we'll start to see that um coming in this year when we have those local elections this is
0: Keir Starmer's first real test as as
1: Labour leader fundamentally it, certainly the run-up
0: I think will be interesting it's it's gonna be quite unprecedented how much campaigning actually happens and given that generally you know the Conservatives have the air war, have the the spending to uh, put out a lot of literature and pay for it to be delivered, whereas often Labour relying on activists, which is is different under restrictions. It'll be interesting to see how how that manifests itself. Second resolution we have for Labour, Steve, was to flesh out its policy agenda. Uh,
1: Starmer was elected on the basis of, hey, I'm going to stick with the uh, same kind of policies that we've had before, um, but we're just going to be uh, more, more professional in how we handle it all. Become under, not sustained attack but attack from certain parts of the left in relation to the policy agenda and i think it's something that he needs to start uh, showing that there is something there behind his leadership that there is an ideology that there is a notion of what starmerism actually entails uh so that people so that one he can put the the fears of the left of the left to rest, um, and he can, and uh, he can demonstrate. Hey, no, we're we're committed to this, 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 and this. These are our big core ideas. And again, going back to um, those, those timelines, we're in 2021 now. You know, it might sound ages away, but, but the reality is, after this year, we're going to be fast coming up onto um, that, that next general election, which means you need to start putting in the legwork now to kind of start working out what the messaging is going to be, what are the ideas, what are the policies. I think this came up just before Christmas or or in between Christmas and New Year's. Like we actually started to see some signs of this actually happening, um, which was in relation to, I think, like the, the constitutional settlement for the UK. Starmer announced some form of you know, working group, which is going to look at it and uh, how to bring, bring, be bringing about a more federalist UK as Labour's response to the threat for, you know, uh, independence for Scotland, which is, that's the sort of thing that we need to see more of. And again, this is another piece that, that will be coming to the uh, Patreon in, at, at some point in the near future. Um, the Fabians have done some work and a report, which was uh, headed up by Yvette Cooper, um, on kind of like the trends in unemployment as a result of the pandemic and what needs to be done to try and tackle the, the, the rise in unemployment and the rise in automation. There's stuff happening, but it needs to be pieced together into into something and themes need to be developed. And we need to start seeing that now so that we can actually, so that there's basically a chance for one, Labour to agree a position. Two, Labour to work out what its comms is going to be on that. And then three, hammer that home over over a year or so, so that by the time it actually gets to a general election, people already have an idea about what Keir Starmer stands for.
0: You are right that this has already started happening. And we talked about the the briefings um, that were coming out in our final kind of sum up of, of 2020. Looking into 2021, if we've had 50,000 downloads, obviously this is the 50,000th time I'm going to say there was an interesting Stephen Bush article on INew's website. And he actually sort of takes the opposite view that actually Labour should be announcing less policy. Again, this is where we can be all semantically decide what we decide flesh out means. The Bush thesis in essence was, in answer to the, yes, there's a 2024 election, that's three years away, that's a long time. That We don't know what the full ramifications of COVID are yet what kind of recovery it looks like, it's too early to set out a detailed plan, which I have some sympathy for. The other thing was that actually Stama ha- and Labour in particular have been setting out a lot of policy. For instance, part of it has been about cutting CERC out and other private companies out of outsourcing, doing track and trace, about um, increasing sick pay so that uh, it's easier for people to isolate at home who otherwise would have to go out and work and also trying to get more local a bit more devolution similar to the government settlement you were talking about and trying to get more local authorities involved not just in track and trace but also in helping fight coronavirus directly as well. Problem is that none of those policies have really got a lot of media cut through. Definitely the resolution I think is flesh out the policy agenda but I think what it probably needs to be is but as bush um puts forward in the piece you're looking for what but, but he argues anyway you're looking for one or two symbolic policies and this is essentially i think sort of what you're saying anyway but you you might want something like say universal sick pay is an example he gives i, I don't even necessarily
1: think it needs to be like a big policy in and of itself that sets the agenda because i think one of the one of the best examples of what is your agenda going to be on was when um, was asked to tony blair and he said education 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 clear form of communication about this is what blairism at that point in time was all about (laughs) because as you say a lot of the policies we've been talking about so far they're fine but they're not cutting through because they're responsive um, and they're not actually building a notion of This is what we want to do as an agenda, as an actual agenda. At the moment, it's just this is what the government's doing. Here's how we'd improve it.
0: Yeah, I think that's why it's that symbolic policy offer, which I think is is needed. And the so if we're going to look back to to New Labour, actually, I would slightly disagree i think actually you, you look you are looking for the symbolic policy offer i think a better example of that would be the five policies on the 97 pledge card things like maximum class size of 30 or waiting times cut to within six months they are symbolic policies that you put on there not just because you want to achieve them but also because they tell you things about that party final resolution then um embrace your inner harold wilson you can tell i've written this one given that harold wilson's my my favorite labor prime minister so embrace inner Harold Wilson because Harold Wilson was all about party unity. Keep his party together. Ha- make sure that you have balanced shadow cabinets representing the left and the right of the party, and in terms of your policy offer as well. Given that Kirsten ran as the unity candidate, I think it's still important to show a sort of unity of purpose over the next year or two. Because uh, also at the end of the day divided parties don't win elections
1: again another piece which is, is going to be coming out in the uh in the near future um on on, on the patreon this this podcast has partially just turned into let steve uh, <laughs> uh, advertise the articles he's written but uh one of the things that i have kind of like put uh, is going to be going live i think next week um as of the time of recording anyway so might be the week that you're listening to this listeners one of the things in that piece is about the fact that starmer has done Seemingly a pretty good job of seeing off any threat from the left of the Labour Party uh, so far, but he can't rely on that as a uh, you know he can't just coast on where he is currently. He needs to actively do things to try and bring some of the left back on board in some areas. As you say, trying to actually maintain his position as the the unity candidate that he pledged to be is a good way to do that, and I think. Again, going back to that um, fleshing out the uh, policy agenda resolution, that, that could be a major part of it as well. Because if you're if he's able to make some you know, big policy offer um, that's at least reasonably radical in some capacity, then, you know, he'll win over a lot of uh, a lot of the left and it buys him a lot more more kind of maneuverability in time.
0: As Steve said, he has written or we'll be uploading several blogs on the Patreon page for our Champagners, and we'll be recording other podcasts for them as well. If you want to read those in full, what what do you have to do, Steve?
1: You have to head over to uh, patreon.com slash notenoughchampagne, um, where once you're there, you'll be uh, able to uh, sign up to become one of our Champagners for a few quid every month. Um, which will get you access to those pieces of content. It will get you access to uh, unique uh, podcasts that we record, um, both just amongst ourselves and with some of our, our, our favourite uh, talking heads and friends of the podcast as well. Um, and those will be made only available to our backers over there. So you won't um, find those anywhere else. Everything that you you send us will goes towards the uh, running of the podcast. And, uh, yeah, so uh, we
0: look forward to seeing you there. Our website is not champagne.com Our Facebook page is facebook.com forward slash Not Enough Champagne. James Cram does our logo. You can follow him on Twitter at James Cram and Dave Depper composed our theme tune, Plucky Good Times. I'm at Paperback Rioter. I'm at Acoustic Radical. Happy Plotting.